Folks, we thank you so much for joining the Why God Why podcast. Today, uh, there is language surrounded this issue um, that may not be suitable for young children. Uh, we've decided uh, to have this in here because it does accurately explain the story. So we want you to be aware of that before you uh, put this on to listening. And we also feel like today it's important to have this conversation. So we hope you have a great day. Uh, looking forward to you listening to this. Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Harry Gibbs. I'm a member at Browncroft and producer of the show. I'm joined by our host, Peter Engler, Director of Adult Ministries at Browncroft, and John Amayo, New York State Crew Director. Why God Why is a podcast where we are asking 21st century questions about God that you never thought you could. Today's guest is Torrance Sparkman, and today's topic is Why God Why is Racism So Prevalent? Before we get to Torrance, let's first have Peter and John uh, introduce our topic. Thanks, Harry. Uh, we are here with Dr. Torrance Sparkman. He is a professor of human resource at RIT. He's a friend. He's spoken on Sunday mornings at Browncroft. And uh, just I have a utmost respect of not just um, the way that he thinks about things, brilliant, bright, but also just the character of Torrance, too. And um as we go into this topic, John, you know, one of the main things that I'm thinking about is um, this is a volatile topic, but the people who I see like Torrance who are engaging it well, um, they've heard other people's stories. And not only have they heard stories, but they've been willing to kind of go with the truth there. So I think that that's pretty important. Yeah, totally agree. Um, totally agree about the privilege that it is to have Dr. Torrance Sparkman here with us today. This is exciting for me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is great. And um, I, I can't think of a better kind of topic to really address as a podcast because there's a lot that could be said about this, but a lot that isn't being said mm -hmm. about this at the same time. Unfortunately, within the Christian realm, sometimes it's easy to kind of turn a blind eye and just look away when in reality, this is a major thing happening, and I don't see it going away in our society no, right now. yes. Yeah. So, uh, Torrance, great to have you here as a friend, as a brother, as someone who uh, we've, I've journeyed alongside of a little bit, and um, I'd love to hear your perspective today about this topic. Why is racism so prevalent still in our society? But maybe a good starting place would be just to go, what's your own experience been with this? Uh, so you want me to open up the, the box already? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. you know, I that's don't what, know. That's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I guess um, I, I can start from, uh, you know, even childhood. A um, couple of incidents, uh, you know, stand out in my mind. Uh, the first one was um, when I was probably eight or nine years old. Um, uh, my brother and I and my grandmother, we went to the grocery store um, and it was in a different, I grew up in Chicago and it was in a different neighborhood from, you know, where my grandmother lived. And, uh, we drove to the grocery store and we were pulling into the, the parking lot. And there was a old lady there who was leaving the parking lot. And as my grandmother was making the turn, she physically rolled down her window <laughs> to give us the finger and say, you niggas don't need to be here. Wow. And uh, and my grandmother kind of looked back and, you know, she just kind of played it off and ignored it. We went on and, and uh, went shopping. 
Uh, that was probably the first time I was, you know, called a, a nigger uh, about eight or nine years old that I remember, mm. uh, you know, being called a nigger at eight or, eight or nine years old. Um, another time that that happened, uh, well, I was probably 13, 14, um, you know, in a western suburb in Chicago. And I had ridden my bike probably about two or three miles away from my house, and there was a park that was close. And on my way back home, I went through a neighborhood, and I was riding through the neighborhood. One of the neighbors came out and um, said, you know, what what are you doing here, nigger? This is not your neighborhood. You know, go back home Hmm. And uh, before I call the police on you. And I remember looking back thinking, you know, why does this guy come out of his, you know, house yelling at me? And this is a free, in my mind, it's a free country. I can go anywhere I want to on my bike. Uh, but, you know, it was clearly a, a segregated uh, area. And uh, after, I, you know, I learned later that there was a segregated area. And most of the time there were no blacks in that, in that, in that neighborhood. Uh, so that, those were the two childhood experiences. Another, uh, as, as I became an adult, um, I've experienced several uh, microaggressions, and, and these are uh, situations uh, that people, you know, uh, experience that uh, based on people's bias, you, you know, you kind of get the raw end of the of the stick uh, in terms of how people think of you and the kinds of things that they say or how they characterize you. Um, so, you know, I've had plenty of microaggressions, but uh, a couple of times, um, you know, you probably heard this a lot, but being pulled over by the police. Uh, one of the times that I got pulled over by the police, I had my family in the car and we were traveling in East Texas, uh, going from Houston back to Chicago. And um, uh, we were, I forget the name of the town, um, but um, I was going north. The state trooper was going south on a two-lane uh, two highway. Uh, so I'm going north, he's going south, and as we were passing each other, I can see, you know, I I looked him in his eyes, and uh, and he looked me in the eye, and then I said, oh boy, because I just had this feeling that, uh, you know, he, there was going to be something to this. And so where I'm still going north, I'm not speeding, I'm not breaking any laws or anything, and um, all of a sudden he turns around. And he lights me up, and uh, he comes speeding up the highway, and uh, he gets out of the car, and he puts his hat on, and he does the whole theatric, like, you know, I'm going to go talk to this guy, and comes up. Uh, Sir, did you, uh, uh, did you know that your brake light was out? I said, no, I didn't know. And he said, well, your brake light is out. And I said, well, how did you know that, going the other direction? Uh, just give me your license and registration. So when the guy got out of the car, um, the other trooper stayed in the car. And, you know, people in the podcast can't see me, but what the other trooper did was he put his head, he put his head down into his head, into his hand, as if to say, oh, man, I can't believe this guy pulled this guy over for this. Uh-huh. So I can see right there that the other trooper was not happy that mm-hmm. he pulled me over just on GP. Mm. Uh, GP, I'm sorry, general principle. <laughs> Just for nothing, basically. That's what I meant to say. But uh, he, he pulls me over for nothing. And um, the uh, 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 my girls are in the back. 
and they're probably they're real young at this point. And they're like, Daddy, what 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 just happened? And I can see them getting nervous about it. Um, but I'm in the car and my wife sitting next to me and she's saying, you know, calm down, don't, you know, don't talk back to him, you know, uh, just stay cool. Uh, and but the more I thought about it, the angrier I got because mm. my children are watching me, you know, struggle to deal with this police officer uh, who pulled me over for no reason, and, and I'm internalizing this. Like I can't believe this is this is happening to me, you know. Uh, so that's that's one incidence where I was pulled over. Uh, I was also pulled over in New Orleans, um, and I passed a church in New Orleans on that street that I was pulled over on. Wow. The same street that had a strip club on it, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm passing into uh, going in, you know, about to go into um, the church, and the police officer pulls me over, um, and he says, uh, "Oh, I was just checking to see if you had your seatbelt on." Hmm. I had my seatbelt on, and so I said, "Well, what what's going on?" Oh, that's it, and then just and then just drove off. Wow. And I said, wow, what a waste of time. Waste, waste of my time. And, you know, this street was known for criminal activity, and you're pulling me over for a seatbelt, mm. which I had on. Yeah. Right? Um, another time. Do you, you? How many stories do you want? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I mean, I think it's already revealing how much disparity there can be between the experiences of some people and other people. Well, I have a seminary experience too. Oh, a seminary. Ooh, this is fun. Actually, that's a, that's a good one. All right, let's hear that one too. Why All not? right, so um, I, I'm in a, in a, a church history class and, um, uh, you know, it's break time and the professor, uh, he says, he announces to the class, all right, I'm going to give you a break. Uh, I don't want to be niggardly with the time. And uh, and after he said it, he kind of looked up at us. It was only two black guys in the class. He looked up at us and he said, uh, and then he ran up to, you know, because we're in the lecture hall. So mm -hmm. he runs up to us and he says, oh, hey, uh, um, I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry uh, I, I said that. Um, you know, I, I didn't really mean anything by it and blah, blah, blah. And um, so, you know, you know I, I'm sorry about that. And I said, well, you know what? Um, I'm really not offended. Because uh, I know what the word means. Mm. The word means stingy. Niggardly means stingy. Mm. Yeah, I was I was wondering what that adverb even meant. So here's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you use that word? You know, given the context and the environment, yeah. there are only two black guys in the class. So I I, I think maybe he just didn't see us, mm. and and he felt like it was okay to use the word, which you know the the real meaning of the word is stingy. Mm. That's not the the whole ball of wax. Next semester, I'm having a discussion with another black guy who was in seminary. He said, man, you know what professor did before the other day? I said, what? He said he used the word niggerly in class. This was a different semester. Mm. He used the word niggerly in class. And then after he said it, he ran up to us and apologized. Uh. And I said, oh, okay. So what this tells me is that his apology was not sincere. And that, uh, you know, even though uh, he said he was sorry, I'm not sure if he even thought, you know, that was, uh, you know, it was hurtful um, for him to, to say a word, apologize for it, and then the next semester do the same thing. People pay attention to that kind of stuff. 
Um, and I don't know if, you know, he, he even knew about it or, or if he even cared. Wow. Yeah. I, I guess my question to you before we go further, um, <clears throat> so I'm just kind of talking about the national conversation mm -hmm. um, towards racism. Like, I feel like the national conversation, there's always been a hum, but then there's been moments where the conversation got, um, the volume got turned up on it. So mm -hmm. I think ever since Ferguson, the national mm -hmm. conversation has kind of gone up. Mm -hmm. And of course- And video cameras. And video cameras. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. What's the same that's always been about racism that, you know, just what's been kind of the same themes versus what's different today about racism that you observe um, just kind of in your life? So, you know, you think about all the way back to the civil rights, yeah. even before that, the civil war. But even today, we're in a racially charged conversation. Yeah. What's different about today and maybe what's the same about today? I think uh, I'll start with what, what I think is different. I think what, what is different today is that you have people who are able to use their cell phones to, you know, video incidents. Um, and what that does, I think, is two things. Number one, um, it makes clear to those who may have had doubt that there were this number of incidents that happened. Um, it makes clear to them that, yeah, this does happen. People are not making this up. The other thing that it does is it is it, it really gives the media an opportunity to um well let me let me just let me just put it this way what ends up happening is that people get dull to the number of incidents and they say you know well the media is just playing this up it's it's being hyped up uh you know they they're leading a broadcast off with this and so this is all they talk about uh, and the media is, is, is driving this. And what I say to that is that, you know, media may be using that to, you know, sell commercials. Yeah, people, you know, they, they do that. Um, however, if the incident didn't, didn't happen, they probably wouldn't have anything to show. Uh, and so what I would instead want people to recognize is that, hey, yeah, these incidents do happen. And they've been happening as people have said they've happened. And, and as opposed to, you know, blaming the media, why don't we deal with the issue that, that sparked the incident? You know, why, do we get, why don't we get to the heart of the, the you know, the, the, the matter and the, the relationships that are, are broken as a result of that? Uh, and the, and the uh, hardship and the fear that people feel, you know, when they go through these kinds of experiences. Um, I've heard people um, talk about, you know, having post-traumatic you know, stress associated to, you know, cop, you know, being pulled over by, by police officers. Um, you know, oh, well, if the police, you know, just pulled you over, you're just supposed to give them your, your license. Uh, on the surface of that, yes, that's true. But when a person has been pulled over for a number of different times, one of the things they're thinking is, am I going to get killed today? Uh, because, you know, I've seen a lot of these incidents happen uh, I've heard this happening to my family members. Uh, I saw my dad get pulled over for no reason. You know, this is things I'm thinking about when my kids are sitting in the back of the car. Um, you know, but but that's that's one thing that I think has changed is that the video uh, has has really uh, made it clear that these things do happen for those who didn't believe that they did. I think the things that have remained the same 
are the the use of language, uh, language and 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 um, you know derogatory terms, um, you know uh, the rhetoric that that goes out around you know where people live, uh, how people live, um, and not that those situations aren't uh, uh, aren't true, but it's how you talk about it. So, for example, you know, you have people who live in uh, very, very poor countries that were referred to toilet places. Mm. And uh, if you know the history behind that, you really understand that when, when, when people were brought to a particular country, what that colonizing country did was left the group with a lot of uh, debt. And if you're in debt and you owe the world money and you have no way, uh, at least initially, to, you know, to, uh, to grow your own food or to, you know, have your own uh, space uh, and have your own economic structure without it being interfered with, they're going to be poor people. They're going to be poor countries that exist that way. And that's not to say corruption doesn't exist. That's not to say that uh, sin doesn't exist in those places. It's not to say that. But it is to, to say that there's a systematic reason why some of these environments exist. Mm. And for us to speak of them in derogatory terms is, uh, is heartless. It's, uh, it lacks compassion. Um, you know, I, I, some, of the, some of the language, you know, uh, you, have, you have good people on all sides. Um, for a person not to be able to see the evil of that is really um, frustrating and, and, and confusing, um, especially when they claim to be Christian. That, that's, that's very disappointing. Mm. Uh, another um, thing that continues is in practice of, of segregation, um, you know, some policing practices uh, where, you know, if you don't have a body camera on and then there's no uh, proof that something happened, um, and, and this is not to say that I, I love the police. I think our society needs police and all, and all that, um, you know, stop and frisk, those kinds of things. And the way that the, the justice system, uh, seems to, and there's numbers on this. I just, I can't quote them right now. Seems to incarcerate more black folks, uh, for similar crimes as white folks. And uh, what ends up happening is that if you have a whole society or, or if you have men who have been incarcerated in a community uh, for the smallest of crimes, it takes away that person's ability to vote and it takes away their role in the community because they've been incarcerated. And it also takes away, in a lot of sense, it takes away, particularly among men, it takes their masculinity and their position in the community away. And so I hear a lot of times, you know, folks say, well, you know, if there's more dads in the, you know, in the black community, um, you know, then we, they would, they would do better. Yeah, that, that's probably true. Uh, that is true. Let me put it that way. That is true. You know, but there's a reason why these things happen. And for us to just look superficially at, uh, you know, black folks are locked up is to not understand that. This, there's systematic ways in which these things happen. These quote unquote phenomenon happen. Um, can can I sure. ask you a question, Torres? Because you're as you're talking, my man, my brain is just like 
I'm tracking with you and I'm I'm thinking about all of the injustice that happens kind of constantly around us and we're kind of numb to sometimes. Mm-hmm. At least I can get numb to it mm-hmm. sometimes. Um as even as I I'm I'm processing what you shared about your experience as a child, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that had to be emotionally you know, that had to hurt emotionally as you're trying to process this. Like why why am I being called a slur, you know, by this lady that I don't even know. Yeah. There's something that goes on underneath the surface of our hearts. You know, at least I feel like this is not just like racism is, is a horrible, horrible thing, but I feel like sometimes it's like this, this exterior that we can see, mm-hmm. but underneath mm-hmm. that is driven by something deeper. Yeah. Like it, I what's your you. thoughts about that? Like what, where do you think this this is kind of driven from. I, I think, you know, number one, you know, we have to recognize um, that sin exists, that evil exists in, in our world. Um, and that, you know, the, the Bible says that, uh, you know, the heart, man's heart is desperately wicked. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Without, without Jesus, you know, as a, as a savior, savior it, it, you know, that's, we're going to think me first all the time. And I think uh, you know that's part of the problem of, of racism is to is is to not acknowledge that that's a sin. Mm-hmm. That's that's one thing. I think to you know to not have the the, the compassion um, that comes with you know being a Christian and walking with the Lord and seeing Jesus's compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's another thing. And another thing is not having the courage. And this is where. You know, the, the church uh, uh, is very disappointed in this regard mm-hmm. in that if you see that there's an issue with a person's language, uh, with their behavior, um, you know, and, and even to a certain extent, a lack of knowledge with regard to who God is, mm-hmm. you should call it out. And when I think about um, uh, the... Uh, the prophet who spoke to David, um, Nathan, Nathan. Yeah. and uh, he, you know, he put it in a way that David was infuriated that someone would steal the, the only ewe lamb mm-hmm. that uh, that this person had, and and uh, Nathan said that person is you, right? And so the prophet has that responsibility to call that out, uh, Jeremiah. You know, uh, that wasn't an easy thing, you know, a position to be in uh, when you know that everyone else is saying, you know, uh, there should be prosperity and uh, we should be comfortable and we should have our own space. And God is saying, no, you're going to be in captivity, you know, yeah. and for Jeremiah to be in that space where he has to be clear that, hey, you know, this is the situation. Um, that's that's tough. But that's a that's a responsibility. This is the Why God Why podcast. Today's guest, Dr. Torrance Sparkman, and today's topic: Why God Why is racism so prevalent? Uh, Torrance, I I wanted to move us uh, going forward to the second half of our conversation. Um, you know, how do we walk through this process now? Of obviously, change does need to occur, mm-hmm. and uh, we've so often. Um, messed up this topic, whether it's just culturally or the church, what do you see as good steps that we can all take, uh, to, you know, love people better 
Um, and that goes through across the board, not yeah, just sure. uh, our traditional forms of racism. Okay. I, I think um, one thing, I, I have a good friend, his name is um, Dr. Ron Jackson. He says this, and he teaches a class on, on race. He said, a lot of times what we do as a society, we treat racism and uh, uh, we treat it from as if it's a car accident that happened on the side of the road. That is, when the accident happened, unless it involved us, we keep moving. And I think for the church, you know, we need to be able to see that it does involve us. You know, our role here as ambassadors for Christ is to deal with this kind of stuff. Uh, so we need to take it, you know, take take that to heart to actually help people. And this brings me to kind of, you know, how does the church address this? And this is and another one of my friends said this. This is uh, uh, Richard Wilson said that no, there's no reconciliation without repentance, and there's no repentance without confession, and there's no confession without truth. Wow, can you say that again? Because that sure. was that's so. That I, I think I, we all need to stew. I want to give Richard bit. credit for yeah. it. You know, <laughs> he, he says there's no Richard Wilson. There's yeah. no reconciliation without repentance, no repentance without confession, and no confession without truth. So, in a lot of ways, and I had a conversation with Peter about this. A lot of in a lot of ways, the church has a credibility problem. In that, you know, when the church is talking about salvation uh, without uh, addressing, you know, lies or without addressing incivility, mm. when the church is talking about salvation without addressing those issues, um, you know, that's a, that's a huge gap in terms of trust. Mm. Um, when the church has in the past condoned slavery and use even use the Bible to condone it. That's a huge credibility issue. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and, and sure. Well, one question I have for you, Torrance, you know, our, um, our listener base doesn't necessarily go to church. Okay. And I've talked with a number of people that they totally agree with what you just said. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. Why did you stay? You know, why, why do you still follow Jesus knowing, you know, cause <clears throat> you know, I've yeah. talked with a lot of people in the millennial generation Z and, and that's kind of one of the things like the church really screwed this up. Yeah. What would you say to them? Um, here's what I know about myself. Let me start that way mm. is, is that I recognize for myself that there are thoughts that I think that are not uh, always wholesome and uh, and pure in the sense that uh, you know when when God uh, comes in you know there should be a different way of thinking about revenge and responses and attitudes um, and I think that's what I recognize about God is that He's the one that helps me to change mm -hmm. right. And for the church, we have to recognize that God is the one who changes these, these attitudes and uh, changes our perspective on why people are in situations that they are in. And if you are in a position where you can help, you should do that, mm -hmm. right? And when you are in a position, you, you, should, 
you should help. When you are in a position where you can, you should. And more than that, God commands so, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So, you know, when, when I think about, uh, you know, why I stay or, you know, why I'm a Christian, I think first about me and, you know, the grace that was extended to me. And I think that, you know, the church has an opportunity to, to really recognize that. And, and individuals who don't go to church, let me put it that way. Uh, once we recognize how far or uh, where we've been brought from, it should be, it should be easier for us to have more compassion and to deal with a situation that may not necessarily uh, reflect me or my heritage or my past or my family. You know, my family wasn't involved in slavery, therefore I don't have to deal with that, mm. right? And and I think in terms of misconceptions, I, I, and I told Peter this, I'm not speaking for all black folk, but uh, uh, one of the misconceptions is that um, when you think about, um, I lost my train of thought now. Okay. Yeah, but but when you when you think about you know why people do the things that that they do, um, the first thing that you have to realize is that hey, you know we're all sinful, right? Uh, you know we we should be ambassadors, but oftentimes we think more selfishly. Yeah, you know. I I just want to ask you. So you know, you just said you don't represent all black folk. Mm-hmm. We don't re- represent all white folk, mm-hmm. but we're here. Mm-hmm. You know, as you look at Peter, John, and Harry, mm-hmm. you know, we're we have a sphere of influence with racism. And sometimes when we talk about racism, it's all about the church. It's all about schools. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if we're going to move forward, it takes individuals engaging this well we um you guys can't see this on the podcast we are three white men mm-hmm. what would you want to say to us on our level and our sphere of influence of i just want to give you an opportunity okay. how do you want us to to engage that in a better way what would you encourage us and ask us to do i, I think the first thing is to approach uh race um not and this is hard to say you know because i'm not i'm not necessarily speaking to you guys okay but to approach the issue not in a defensive way because this was going to be my point from before is is that i think a lot of times people assume that uh black folks think that uh you know uh, they're mad at all white folks because you know their parents own slaves no what we're mad about, and again, I'm trying not to speak for black folk, but but what was upsetting is when you don't say anything or when you support the structures that exist that perpetuate racism or perpetuate prejudice. When those things happen, that's what frustrates black folks. Um, and, you know, so I would say to you guys, you know, I would say to you guys, you know, keep keep the compassion first and foremost. Try to understand, you know, what kind of situations people are in, whether it's to their own doing or not. You know, try to understand the situations that people are in. If if you're poor and you're hungry, 
and you've seen things done a certain way in terms of you take it, you, you see it, you take it, that's going to be perpetuated whether you're white, black, green, uh, or what, right? If you if if you if you poverty if you, if there if there's poverty and the way that you see things, and not to say all poor people steal, all right. Let me be clear with that because I you know my grandmother was poor. We she took us to church. We enjoyed her house. Uh, we went places. Uh, I never knew she was poor, but she was. But uh, and and again, what I, what I'm saying is that we need to be able to approach everyone's situation with compassion. We need to be able to have courage to be up, be able to speak up about it. Yeah, um, that was that was a word that I heard you use before, Torrance. Yeah. It was kind of rattling around in my mind as you're talking, like yeah. that word courage. Yeah. Because it seems to me that, that that word is needed on all sides of this mm-hmm. in, a, in the best use of the word, mm-hmm. courage. I agree. So what do you, what, where do you see that courage being needed the most? I, I think one of the things is, is in the, the dialogue. Uh, we need to have dialogue about it. But there, there needs to be repentance, and there needs to be confession, and there needs to be truth. You know, the truth must be told about how people experience racism. The truth must be told about the impact of, you know, injustice and, and social structures. Um, and they need to be researched by folks who have influence and talked about by people who have influence uh, and, and made clear that, hey, you know, this is wrong. And if we are able to set up our society in such a way where there's more equity as, as it relates to, you know, uh, uh, sentencing, uh, more equity as it relates to how we police, uh, uh, you know, a society, if we're able to take roles in uh, government um, that, that allow you as a person of influence to bring these issues to light in a way that's not biased, right? Um, I think those are the kinds of things that are going to help people to really understand that we're one society. And when we have, you know, language that deliberately creates, you know, divisive, um, you know, divisive society, it really is a misrepresentation of what heaven is going to be like. A lot of times I think about it like this, you know, when we go to heaven, there's going to be all kinds of music. There's going to be all kinds of uh, cultural experiences. And hopefully what unifies us first and foremost is our love for Jesus. And, uh, well, in heaven it better be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What what unifies us is is our love for Jesus. Uh, But if we've, you know, segregated ourselves, we've put ourselves in positions where we're not really interested in what the other person is doing, um, you know, we've we've approached this, and this is another thing that, you know, kind of sticks with me. We've approached this world and our society as if this is all there is. Hmm. And if someone comes and they want a piece of what all there is in their minds, then, yeah, you would push back and say, this is mine. You can't have it. But if we're going to heaven, a place that God has prepared for us, then our attitude should be like, hey, this is temporary anyway. Mm. Let's help somebody see who Jesus is, and then let's help us all to enjoy the beauty of what he's created, right? 
So, you know, for me, I think that's one thing that we really have to do a lot better at. It's not being so defensive and not being so territorial about something that really doesn't belong to us. We're stewards of it, hmm. you know. And the United States in particular, we have been blessed with a lot of resources. We've been blessed with, with nice spaces. Uh, we've been blessed with resources. We've been blessed with diversity. Uh, but we, we don't take advantage of that in the way that God has intended. And that's, you know, I, and, and, you know, you talk, Peter, you talk about those things. Why, why do you keep coming back? That's one of those things that, you know, I look at as, you know, when heaven happens, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking for. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that we can create more of that environment here on earth. Torrance, you uh, led us perfectly into our final question, and that is, what does Jesus teach us about today's question, why, God, why is racism so prevalent? We'll let you uh, bat uh, closer and uh, let the fellas answer first, so be prepared. Okay. (laughs) I'm on my phone, and I'm looking at a passage from Galatians, and um, it says this, so in in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Um, My favorite part about this passage is, you know, it's Paul writing to the church in Galatians. And, you know, the first thing is the New Testament was written to a majority of people that felt oppressed. Mm-hmm. And with Galatians, you know, this is a church that's experiencing the the joys, the opportunities, the challenges and the problems of multi um of diversity. And what I, what I love what Paul does here is he says you're all children of God, but he doesn't say I don't see race anymore. Mm-hmm. He says some of you are free. Yes. Some of you are slaves. Yes. yes. He says, some of you are Jews. Some of you are Gentiles. And um, I think about how often, you know, you hear people say in defensiveness, I don't see race. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, by doing that, we miss what Paul says is Paul says this. Here's the crazy part. You all are united through Jesus. You all have different backgrounds, different problems, different issues. You're all here as heirs. And he's not afraid to say, Torrance, you're black. Mm -hmm. Peter, you're white. That's right. And for us as a church and as individuals, and for some of you, you're skeptical of church. That's why you're listening to this podcast. I don't care what's happened in the church. Well, I I do care. But what I care about is what Jesus says. And that's what we're trying to live out is Mm -hmm. that you can see someone's background and see how they're different, Mm -hmm. but still be united in Mm -hmm. Christ. And that's the hope of the gospel there. So. John, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well said, Peter. As I think through this, I go, racism is not a new thing. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes in our day and age, we think like, oh, this is this is such a new phenomenon. No, actually, this is a really, really old deal. Really old. And the even in Jesus' day, he was dealing with racism. And he deliberately Oh, Moses (laughs) Day. Yeah. I mean, you let's go way back, right? I mean, we could go way far back. The Jesus was deliberately sometimes led his disciples into places where they would have to confront their racist tendencies. Mm -hmm. 
Specifically, one time he leads them right into the heart of the area of these people that they despise called the Samaritans. Mm -hmm. Different racial, they were considered half breeds. They just, that's the way that the the people in the day thought of them. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, what he does is he takes them right into the heart of that territory and he has this amazing interaction with the Samaritan woman this person he's not supposed to be talking to, he does. And he shows her love and he shows her compassion and he shows her who he is. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the same thing is, is that he sets the example for us of how we're supposed to enter into people who, the situations of people who are different than us, that we're called to be courageous as you were talking about, Torrance, that that is a mark of following Jesus following him into scary situations where we might be misunderstood, where we might not have the connection. That's right. Uh, but you know what? I, I'll say this. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no. But when I'm talking to you guys, I see mm -hmm. your heart. Mm. Right? Right. Uh, you know, we haven't had an argument yet, <laughs> but we've been, we've been developing a relationship. So even if you might say something cross or I might say something cross, Hopefully we can still work through that, but we've developed, we're developing a relationship. Mm. So I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that was, that was yeah. right on. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the centerpiece of it all, right? Yeah. Is that relationship with each other and with God. Mm -hmm. Like that's, it's, it's both. It's a both and. It's the, the relationship with God. If it doesn't impact your relationship with people, then there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. There's some, there's some breakdown in what we're experiencing. So I would just say that, and then to kind of allude to what you are already talking about, Torrance, the Bible makes it pretty clear at the very end, the, the, as, as you see this, what heaven looks like, it's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation standing before Jesus. Every, and they, and like you were saying, Peter, this isn't, you, they're able to tell it's every tribe, tongue, and nation. Mm -hmm. Like there's people, the diversity mm -hmm. is apparent mm -hmm. right there. And mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't run from it. Mm -hmm. We should head toward it mm -hmm. with excitement, knowing that this is a, a little bit of a taste of what's mm -hmm. to come. So that's just my yeah. Torrance back cleanup. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just, I just, you know, want to reiterate that, uh, you know, our time here is temporary, but we can make it, uh, you know, we can make it great. Mm. Uh, and so to speak, <laughs> And uh, I, I think uh, that, you know, we, we miss that opportunity when uh, we, we don't get to learn about the individual or we don't lead, get to learn about someone else's culture. I think we miss that opportunity because God has presented it to us, right? And there's always going to be, you know, sin and evil that's going to be in the midst of it. You know, you know, Satan is ready at all times to, you know, throw a monkey wrench in, in, in you know, our fellowship. And we need to be able to see that, you know, it's pretty clear, you know, it's pretty clear that uh, if he can keep us, you know, in a state of disunity, uh, that, you know, God's message is clouded by, uh, you know, our, our discord, right? So, you know, the Bible says, you know, uh, love the Lord with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and I do believe, though, it's got to start with the church. Uh, you know, we have to do, do a lot better. And I think when people are on the on the fence or they're trying to decide, you know, how do I walk through this kind these kinds of issues morally and ethically, the people who lead the way is the church, or should lead the way is the church. You know, uh, you guys when you you know do these kinds of podcasts or uh, when you're having conversations, uh, 
you know, you lead the way in these kinds of conversations and, you know, whether we're going to just listen so that we can, or have conversations just so we can talk and get out our, you know, our points of view, or are we going to be active listen, listen, listeners and really understand what's the meaning behind that person's experience? And I think when we start to get to that level is when we'll really start to make the connections that are, are necessary. And, and, and Christianity will look that, that much better. You know, but until that happens, it's going to, you know, it's, people are looking and saying, oh, well, you know, if those good Christians over there are not, you know, able to, to recognize this and not able to work through it, you know, I don't feel like I need to do that. So, you know, the, the challenge is, is for us first. Dr. Torin Sparkman, thanks for being on the Why God Why podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode or previous episodes, follow us on social media or head over to our website, whygodwhypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>